All right. What a wonderful time it is to be in God's house. I'm going to share with you this morning something from God's Word that I really honestly believe will be a great blessing to you if you hear what I'm going to say. I speak to you this morning, I know, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I know that the presence and power of the Lord is, is with me when I preach. I know it more in these days in this church than I have ever known it in, in my ministry. And, and, and it is increasing. The Spirit of God and the presence of God and the anointing of God is increasing. We're going to be talking about, uh, in 2013, I believe, I believe that you will hear us say a lot of times and see it printed a lot of times, expect miracles. Expect miracles. God is going to send us miracles. And I speak to you this morning about the greatest miracle of all. I announced the topic of my message today, or the title of it, as the world's greatest love story. I know some of you younger people came because you wanted to hear what that might be. It isn't the story of Romeo and Juliet. It isn't even the story of Samson and Delilah nor of Anthony and Cleopatra. There's a greater love story than any of these that you've ever read about in historical literature. This is a love story that began before man was created. Eternity means not only without an end, it also means without a beginning. Eternity is timeless. Before the beginning, beyond the end, if we must express it in language and words that are known to us. And the Bible says that God put forth a plan for this world. It wasn't God's intention that man would sin, but if God is omniscient, that is, knows all things, as we are confident He is, He certainly knew that man would sin. And yet he gave man a great opportunity in this world when he created Adam and Eve. Knowing that there would be a need, however, in his overall economy for his justice needs to be met and for the requirements of his justice to be satisfied, God put forth a plan. And it began before the recorded history of man. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. Before, before the worlds were created, the plan of God in His eternal loving economy was set in effect. And He began to develop the greatest historically, scripturally, for all expressions, he began to develop the greatest love story ever told. It's expressed so greatly, so powerfully, so, so, so marvelously in that verse of Scripture that all of us know. I dare say that virtually everybody here can quote, at least the King James Version of the quotation, you can quote John 3.16. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the summary of the world's greatest love story. You can read that and know enough to be saved and live with him forever. God so loved, and this is, this is the glory of it now. God so loved the world that he gave. Christmas is about giving. We give presents and gifts. Listen, God started it all. He's the greatest giver who has given the greatest gift to the greatest number of people. And that gift that he has given is his own son as the price of our eternal salvation. This is what the scripture says. That he so loved that he gave his only begotten son. What a gift. What a gift. No wonder the apostle Paul speaks of him as the unspeakable gift. The scripture declares he is the gift beyond all measure, beyond any understanding. In him, in him, in Christ Jesus, are reserved or hidden all the secrets of wisdom and knowledge, the Bible says. Everything that we ever need or ever could need is in him. So that's the message of the beginning of this wonderful love story, that he descended from the annals of heaven, from the realms of glory, he came down to become one of us. He didn't stay there at the throne and send the message of salvation. He came to be that message of salvation, born in a body such as we were born in. To become a human as we are human. So that he could identify in all things like we are. And yet at the same time as I preached last week. To be perfectly God. Because in order to be the sinless sacrifice. He had to be God as well as man. He came. He descended from heaven. From the realms of glory to earth. To take our place. To become what we are so that we could become what he is. It's all there in the scriptures. From beginning to end in the Bible, it starts out in the book of Genesis, declaring a Savior will come to defeat the effects of Satan in our lives. All the way through to the book of Revelation, where it proclaims loudly and unequivocally, he is the conqueror of all things, of all time, of all matter, of eternity. This, this, is, this, uh, this is what I have uh, offered to you today, and it's available to you when you go out. I sort of started a tradition of using this in our Christmas message. Here it is, Christ in every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible, the crimson thread runs the message of salvation. Jesus is there. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. 
In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning and ruling king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken walls of our shattered lives. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's the Lord, our good shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Hallelujah. In Hosea, he's the eternal husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our savior. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the evangelist pleading for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer of the temple and the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened to the house of David for sin and for uncleanness. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In the New Testament, in Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the risen Christ working in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's the friend of the oppressed. In Hebrews, he is the one who shed the blood of the new covenant. In James, he's the Lord who raises up the sick and heals them. In First and Second Peter, he's the Lord who shall soon appear. In First, Second, and Third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory to his name. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. All of that is printed and available for you as, as you leave this morning. And I hope you'll take it with you as a reminder that Jesus is the reason for the season. And he is also the theme of all of the word of God. He descended from heaven. And then I want to tell you that a part of this love story is that he apprehended us. I use that word apprehend in the sense of, 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 of grasping and holding, apprehending one or someone in whatever the situation may be. There, 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 there are a variety of meanings for it, but as I use that word to say that a part of this love story is that Jesus came to apprehend us. He came to take us. 
He came to grasp us. He came to hold us and make us his own. He revealed himself. Now, this, this is an interesting thing to me. I looked at it this past week, and I, got, I, I thought about it, and I, I, I dwelt on it, and I, I asked the Lord for understanding. I believe, this is, I believe this is the right understanding. Jesus was risen from the dead, and Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She was coming, actually, to, in, to take care of his body with the ritual of burial. You know, he didn't get to do it because he died so late on, on, the, uh, on Friday that the Sabbath was entering. So they, she came back after the Sabbath to do that. And when she got there, the tomb was empty, as you know. And she saw someone standing there. She thought it was the gardener. And then he spoke to her, Mary. And when he did, she knew that it was her Lord. When he spoke to her, she said, Rabbi. And she must have gone to embrace him, but he stopped her. He said, don't touch me yet, for I've not yet ascended to my father. He must have just walked out of the tomb when Mary got there. Now, later on, Thomas, please don't criticize Thomas. He said things so that all of us could not have to say them. But when they told Thomas that he had risen from the dead, the other disciples said, we've seen him. He said, I don't believe it, and I won't believe it. Unless I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and put my hand in the, his riven side because I saw that. And if he has that, I'll know. The next time Jesus appeared to his disciples, Thomas was there. He decided with all these good reports, he better go to church to find out what was happening. <laughs> so, so he gathered up with the rest of the disciples and Jesus appeared. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, here I am. Come and put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Come and thrust your hand in my open side. And don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas fell down before him and cried out, My Lord and my God. Now, this is what I want you to see. When Mary Magdalene first saw him, he said, Don't touch me. When Thomas came, he invited him to touch him. Feel I'm doing. Somewhere in between that time, when he saw Mary Magdalene, and the time that he appeared to Thomas and the other disciples, Jesus had to appear before the throne of the Father. Because all of that had changed. It was okay to touch him now. He had made his ascension to the throne of the Father. He had declared the atonement is made. The price is paid. Redemption is complete. I've died on the cross and shed my blood. I bring it to the Holy of Holies. I've risen to show the power and effect of that blood. And now the plan of salvation is fulfilled and complete. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know if you'd ever thought about that before, but it, got, it started bothering me till I think the Lord showed me what's going on here. And then I read in Philippians that Paul said, because Christ Jesus, all that has happened to us, all the good, the blessings, the glory, the benefits, all of that is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm talking about now this love story being apprehending us, grasping us, taking us, holding us. And this is what Paul said to the Philippians. All of this, all the blessings of God. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's you, friend. He's made you his own. The blessings of God fall because he's made you his own. The plan of salvation is your salvation because he's made you his own. The answers that come from God are your answers because he's made you his own. All you have to do is to act on that and say, Lord, you've done your part. I'm ready to do my part. Make me your own. I want to be yours. Amen. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. So somewhere when, when Jesus when Jesus went to the throne, he completed, he completed the plan. He fulfilled the plan. He appeared at God's throne with his offering for sin. I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad it's complete. I read this, I've said it more than one time here. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. He became what we were so that we can become what he is. In a modern song that we sing today, these words touch my heart every time I sing them. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. We can't calculate how much it costs. We don't know. We can't grasp it how much it costs for our sin to be on that cross. All through the ages, they were trying to have that atonement completed, doing the best that they could following the law of God. Innumerable lambs, sheep, goats were slain on altars in the Jewish worship as a type of the blood of Jesus. But they had to keep doing it because no blood was perfect blood that could cleanse the world's sins until Jesus came and shed his own blood. And the writer of the, of the poem put it so clearly. This is what he said. Not all the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain could give one guilty sinner peace or take away the stain. But Christ the heavenly lamb takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Hallelujah. Jesus paid the acceptable price. The acceptable price for our salvation. He released us when he paid the debt for us. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about one more point, but I, 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 want, I want to just really, really stress this matter that, that, that Je the price that Jesus paid and what it means to us, because this is what the love story is all about. This is the love story, that he loved us so much, he gave himself for our sins to become sin for us. That's the love story. The result of it is that we can believe on him and be saved and go to heaven and live forever in glory and shout the praises of God throughout the ages of eternity. That's the result. That's the end of the love story. But the real heart of the love story is that Jesus loved us, paid the price for us, so that we can be forgiven for all our sins. This is what another poet said. I sinned. And straightway post haste Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. The soul, he said, this thing of clay and sod is sinned. Tis true that he's named your name, but I demand his death. For thou hast said the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy righteous sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? And night and day he railed on me there. And every word he spoke, O oh God, was true. But then, quickly, one rose from God's right hand, before whose glory the angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, 
Each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled, tis true. This guilty sinner dies. But wait, suppose his guilt were all transferred to me and that I paid his penalty. Behold my hands, my side, my feet. One day I was made sin for him and died that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. Then Satan flew away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He paid the price for us to be able to live in the presence of God eternally and forever. And that's the greatest love story that you will ever hear. And then, to seal the message, Jesus ascended. He had already been to the throne of God. I told you that some few minutes ago about the Mary not touching him and Thomas touching him. He had already been to pay the price. But now, he makes one final time that he declares for his disciples to come together. And this is the time I believe that Paul speaks about in Corinthians when he says more than 500 brethren saw him at the same time. They were there to see him ascend to heaven. They had gathered on the on a mountain, and, and, and here Jesus was ready to depart, and they have this little colloquy between them, and then as Jesus is taken away, as he begins to ascend, they've asked their questions, they get what answers he wants to give them, and as Jesus begins to ascend, they are in consternation. They think they're losing him. He's told them he has to go away for the Holy Spirit to come. He's taught them and explained it and laid the preparation, but still... It's traumatic for them now. They've had here 40 days of seeing Jesus alive after his resurrection, proving himself to be alive by many infallible proofs, the scripture says. And now they see him beginning to rise to heaven. Is he gone forever? They're asking themselves. And suddenly, angels appear to speak to them. And the final message about the plan from Jesus before Paul got the revelation of the New Testament was delivered by angels. As Jesus is going away, the angels say to the people standing there, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, whom you see taken away, will so come in like manner as you see him going away. This same Jesus, hallelujah, the same Jesus of, that was the babe of Bethlehem, the same Jesus that was the 12-year-old bringing consternation to the teachers in the temple, the same Jesus who grew up, the boy of Nazareth in a carpenter's shop, the same Jesus who walked about all over Judea, throughout the territories and the districts, delivering the message of the Father and healing the sick and delivering the needy. That same Jesus who died on the cross and we know he was dead. That same Jesus who rose from the grave and we know he's alive. This same Jesus, they said, is coming again just like you see him going away. Hallelujah. And hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Let's praise God for it. Yes. Because I tell you this, my friends. He's kept every other promise. And he's going to keep that one too. He said, he said, wait, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with the Holy Spirit. They went, not all of them, 120 of them went, waited in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the fullness of the Spirit. 
My point is he made a promise. He told them throughout his ministry, when I go away, I'll send a comforter. As he was ready to leave, he said it again, if you'll go wait in the city of Jerusalem, when the fullness of time comes and my plan is in effect, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. They did it. They believed it. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I am telling you that when Jesus makes a promise, he keeps a promise. When Jesus makes a promise, he keeps that promise. And I am here to tell you this morning that this same Jesus, this same Jesus that we know, that we love, that we serve, this same Jesus that we've learned about and we've learned to come into his presence, of his, into the fullness of our intimate relationship with him, this same Jesus who is a part of our lives, a part of our daily living, the one whose name we call and know that when we call it, he hears us and he's with us. This same Jesus who went away is coming again. Hallelujah. He's coming back because he said he would. Because he said he would. The time that they were referring to is not the rapture. But he is coming back in the rapture before that time of every eye seeing him happens. He's coming in the rapture. And my friends, you want to be ready to go when that happens. You want to be ready to go when that time comes. That's a thing. That is what you do not want to miss. We take communion this morning. And when we do so, we remember. We remember not only his broken body, his shed blood, we also remember the promise of his coming again. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Speaking of the communion, which we're going to receive together now in just moments. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. As oft as you do this, you do show forth his death till he come. So he's coming. This that we're doing this morning is a testimony that we believe he's coming again. We believe he's coming back. We are showing forth his death. His death is effective for salvation, for deliverance, for healing. His death is effective right up until he comes again. And my friends, I believe he's coming soon. There are a lot of things happening a lot of things may happen that we may not know about or on the calendar, but this I do believe with all my heart. There's nothing else that must happen, nothing else that has to happen before Jesus comes again in the rapture, for the rapture, for the saints who are ready for him. I believe Jesus is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. With joy, we welcome his returning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It may be morning, it may be night or noon. We know he's coming soon.